This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 24th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is another very special edition of Franchise Today, marking 15 weeks since we broke ranks with the podcast's usual format of lighthearted offerings, featuring weekly birthday greetings and interviews with industry leaders and executives about sustainable growth and sensible franchising. It was Wednesday, March 18th to be exact. As you may remember, Hungry Howie CEO Steve Jackson was my guest. That particular episode became week one of what has since become months of weekly updates and reports on the coronavirus crisis. And for each of the next 11 weeks that followed, this podcast was 100% focused on all things COVID-19, and rightfully so, as this pandemic, for whatever else it is and might be, has ushered in an epic series of events in American business, life, and culture, unlike anything that has ever been experienced, not just in our lifetimes, but ever. And then, just as it seemed that we were actually beginning to adjust to the changes foisted upon us by this pandemic and getting our collective heads around what I still refuse to accept as the new normal or the permanent normal. What with many cities and states beginning to allow businesses around the nation to start reopening, along came May 25th and another shoe dropped in America with the senseless murder of George Floyd. Floyd was a 46-year-old African-American man taken into custody by a Caucasian Minneapolis police officer named Derek Chauvin. Chauvin was a veteran cop with a long record of misbehavior who pressed his knee into Floyd's neck for just under nine minutes in plain view of security cameras capturing him choking the life out of George Floyd for all the world to see. Needless to say, this brutal event of bad policing ignited protests protests, demonstrations, and anger in people of all ages, races, creeds, and religions in more than 2,000 cities across the country and around the world. Then, it didn't take long for those peaceful protests to ultimately bubble up into something worse, and soon after, the top blue and peaceful protests gave way to riots and burning of buildings, businesses, and properties in neighborhoods across America. And, just that quickly, the coronavirus crisis all but disappeared from the news cycle, replaced by something that, believe it or not, seemed even more frightening and worse. This latest instance of a very bad cop doing a very bad thing played on television and news shows 24-7, shown from multiple angles for all to see, stretching this tipping point to a whole new place, creating yet another inflection point, getting under the skin of people of all colors, exposing nerves and causing us to revisit some of the dark spots in our nation's history, and for some to even begin questioning their own psyche. So as I introduce this episode of Franchise Today, marking week 15 of special reports around these historic moments in time, these inflection points that have moved the cheese on life as we've known it and lived it, each different from the other, but both life-changing, no doubt. We're going to drill more deeply into the conversation on diversity and inclusion today in ways that I guarantee have not been part of the conversation in most places, but most certainly they should be. We're going to be joined in just a few minutes by John 
Hope Bryant, entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, and prominent thought leader on financial inclusion, economic empowerment, and financial dignity. But first, we thank Eric Fiala once again, Senior VP and Director of Corporate Community Affairs at KeyBank for joining us last week. Diversity and inclusion are no new terms at KeyBank. Rather, they are and for years have been foundational cornerstones in their corporate culture since inception. And we're proud to be associated with them here on Franchise Today as well as at the IFA's Diversity Institute. I'll tell you what, we've got a lot to get to today, so why don't we take a very quick break here, and when I come back, I'll be joined by John Hope Bryant. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Key Bank, standing with the franchise community in a strong commitment to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. During these uncertain times, Key Bank remains focused on its purpose to help clients and communities thrive. Named for the 11th time as one of Diversity Inc.'s top companies for diversity, Key Bank has been and remains committed to building a workforce and workplace that reflects the communities it proudly serves. KeyBank thanks Franchise Today as well for continuing its focus on how companies in the franchise community can cultivate and curate businesses where equality and respect are not an aspiration but an expectation. John Hope Bryant is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Operation Hope, the largest not-for-profit and best-in-class provider of financial literacy and inclusion and economic empowerment tools and services in the U.S. for youth and adults. Our last five presidents have acknowledged his work, and he has served as an advisor to the last three crossing party lines. He's joining us today to offer more than one man's opinion about today's civil unrest, but rather to share some history with us that explains how we got where we are, and moreover, how together we can work through this and make America stronger and better in the process. John Hope Bryant, welcome to Franchise Today. Uh, deeply honored to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you here. You know, John, I could take the entire time that we've got together today to talk about your achievements as an accomplished entrepreneur, an author, a philanthropist, an advisor to presidents, and a servant leader. But what I would much rather do, if you'll indulge me, is I would rather open today with the compliment to you and, and the compliment of comparison to one of my mentors. I always hear you give honor to Ambassador Young as your mentor. I wanted to share with you someone that I learned a lot from during my years in diversity. His name is Gottfried Otute. And Gottfried is the oldest of six kids that were born in a fishing village in Ghana many years ago, but the only one of his family that got the power of an education and able to attend school in Africa and then earn a scholarship to Harvard University and go on to an MBA at the University of Southern California. Gottfried then went on to become the head of many franchise companies and was very engaged and active with the International Franchise Association's Minorities and Franchise committee, which is where I got pleasure of being exposed to Gottfried and learning so, so much from him over the early years of my work in diversity. And Gottfried, like you, has another gift, the power of education, the understanding of money, but mm. truly the ability to take complex issues and just break them down to places where everybody can understand them. And it almost becomes impossible to argue with because it makes so much sense. And my goal for today is to see if we can't accomplish the same. And like Gottfried could always do, let's take 
take the red and the blue and the politics out of the discussion about what's going on in the world today, and let's take the symptomatic discussions of byproducts of all of these problems in our world today and break it down to exactly where it is we are, how we got here, and how we can take this moment in time and actually help franchising as a community make it meaningful. Amen. So, John, let's start, if you would, with just you telling the audience a little about yourself from your growing up years of being a part of an entrepreneurial family, and, and then let's take the conversation forward into some of what's happening in the world today as it is and, and what we can do about it and where franchising hopefully can fit into this because we are such a large part of the GDP. You're not only a large part of the GDP, you're, you're also a large part, an untapped part of what I call the silver rights movement or from civil rights which is issues of race and the color line and battling those things and creating systems of justice and fair play around those things. Civil rights waged in the streets uh, by race on the color line leads to silver rights, S-I-L-V-E-R, in the suites, which is really about class and poverty. And, and silver rights is about strengthening yourself so that you can withstand the injustices that may come your way if civil rights is not enough. Silver rights is what levels a playing field, economic freedom, financial liberation, and that comes through education. Well, it also comes to relationship capital. So if you hang around nine broke people, you'll probably be the 10th. The opposite is also true. But if you grew up in a neighborhood like I grew up in Compton, California, and then later in South Central Los Angeles, in Compton, to take that as an example, there were no office buildings, stand in Compton, California when I was growing up in the early 70s. The only multi-story building literally in Compton at that time was the courthouse. Um, so it was a public building that was designed to process you into jail. <laughs> uh, it was a government building that processed entitlements. So my point there is that the office buildings should have been filled with small business owners. That's where half of America's jobs come from, are small businesses. But we never got the memo. This is circa March 1865. Abraham Lincoln, March 3rd, created a bank called the Freedmen's Bank, chartered to teach free slaves about money after the Civil War. I am the only American citizen and Operation Hope, the only organization ever to rename a building on the White House campus in America's history, which was renamed from the Treasury Annex Building to the Freedmen's Bank Building in honor of financial literacy for former slaves, the formerly enslaved. Unfortunately, Lincoln was killed the next month. The next time we talked about money in this country was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., not a banker, not a franchise owner, not a businessman, but a preacher. But he talked about poverty and the need to eradicate it, to redeem the soul of America. And he was killed the same month as Abraham Lincoln, 1865, April to uh, 1968, April. So we never got the memo on money or free enterprise or capitalism or entrepreneurship or opportunity. The first time I heard the word entrepreneur was when I was nine years old in school and a banker came in my classroom and taught me financial literacy. And I remember it was a Caucasian banker with a white shirt on, a red tie, and a blue suit, about 6'2 or so. And I asked him, sir, what do you do for a living? And how did you get rich legally? And I was completely serious because I'd never seen a guy like this in my neighborhood unless he was a cop. And that meant he was wearing a really bad suit as a detective. And I don't mean bad, Stan is in bad as in super fly bad. I mean bad as in like polyester really bad, like horrible bad. And he said, young man, I'm a banker and I finance entrepreneurs. And sir, I, I said, sir, I don't know what an entrepreneur is. I've never heard that phrase before, but whatever it is, if it's legal and you're financing it, I'm going to be one. My point here is that when I say franchising is part of this movement, it may probably the first time anybody said that on one of your shows is that you have to think where if America started literally 
from immigrants up from nothing. You know, you have Sam Walton with a pickup truck and storefront and a high school education inspired by business. We created Walmart. You have Jim Casey, 100 bucks and a bicycle, create something now we call UPS. And whoever, you know, Fred Smith founded FedEx. All these up from nothing stories. Goldman Sachs, a guy named Goldman and a guy named Sachs, literally running around New York City selling financial services out of a briefcase. But those stories, if you go back far enough, you'll find that their fathers and their grandfathers ran small businesses. <laughs> there was a legacy in that family of being a business owner. There's no legacy in slavery <laughs> of uh, being a business owner. In fact, just the opposite was true. It was a reverse, reverse transfer of wealth. I'll get to that maybe in a follow-up question because that is sort of answers why we are where we are today without having no moral issue. There's no moralizing. There's no blaming. That's not useful in this conversation. It's not useful in America right now. I love math because it doesn't have an opinion. It's, you know, Here's what happened on this date at this time and here's the result of that and what happened at another date at, at, at another time. So franchising for my neighborhoods was the first time we ever saw a black prosperous person that was legal. That was part of the mainstream system. It was, when I was growing up, it was like, oh my God, in the 80s, in the 90s. Do you know that Joanne's father owns a franchise? It didn't matter which one it was. It was like, well, that means he's plugged into the system. Yeah. That's unbelievable. He's got credibility. He's got access to capital. He's got a brand name on his the side of his building. It wasn't, you know, Johnny's Crab Shack. It wasn't Max Liquor Store, right, where I worked growing up. It was... XYZ franchise, which everybody recognized. That was a big deal. It was like your first step up. If you could, so if you couldn't work in the corporate office because the office buildings did not exist in my neighborhood, then you at least had this sort of street level franchise operation, typically retail in nature. A lot of times it was fast food or convenience dining in nature. You could recognize it. It had a logo and a brand and bright lights and it had uniform codes and standards and it looked so professional. And everybody worked, worked there, had the same uniform. And it was like it was like going to war. You just going into the military, but instead of having low pay and a and a military uniform and a gun, you had high pay and a pen in your hand and the ability to build wealth and create jobs. So I think that uh, in all seriousness, franchising has been the unsung hero uh, for aspirational uplift in the 20th century for many minorities on the first rung of wealth creation. And I think that in the current environment, it can once again be an incredible bellwether for the uplift of 100 million Americans who have been left behind by the free enterprise story. John, what do we say to those in the audience who, when they hear words like white privilege and they get a visceral reaction to that, they, they're not conscious in their minds of what white privilege might mean to someone who has to have conversations with their kids about things that my family doesn't have to hear from me about. I heard about Senator Tim Scott getting pulled over for driving while being black for no reason, no taillight out, no anything, just because he was was giving the appearance of being in the wrong place. And yet I call that white privilege because I take it for granted. And it's not something I'm conscious of or think about, but many of my peers don't believe that there is such a thing. And to me, it's kind of like if I got to play baseball and I get up and get three strikes and you get up to bat and you start with two. So that to me is something that has to be conversed about. And a lot of people in the community that I'm in and franchising don't even know where to begin that conversation. What do you share with them about places to start? Well, you know, it's a great question, Stan. You know, no one grows 
because they're comfortable. If you're comfortable, you just want to be more comfortable. Why would you do anything other than stay there? We only grow through legitimate suffering. Only through legitimate suffering do we grow. And so, you know, when my mother called me a knucklehead growing up, that didn't make me feel good and I rejected it. But you know what? That didn't mean it wasn't true. <laughs> um, and so when people say white privilege and someone has a visceral reaction, it's unfortunate they find it to be negative, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It is helpful maybe to go even deeper when someone says, well, well, slavery happened 400 years ago, Caucasian person. I had nothing to do with that. And I didn't benefit from that. And I didn't enslave people. So stop talking about it with me. Well, that's an interesting reaction because the math of that actually doesn't agree. Here's the math. I put this in my new book, Up From Nothing, which comes out in October of this year, that 400 years ago, you had what's called a reverse transfer of wealth, the largest in America's history, that whole core of America. And the, in the, foundation of franchise is you benefit from the sweat of your breath. If you work hard and play by the rules, you get your nails dirty, you stress yourself and you work hard, you put in that time, you're going to get the benefit of that 15 hours, 16 hours that you worked. An entrepreneur works 18 hours a day to keep from getting a job. You can get the benefit of that work. It's American creed. Well, in this example, my ancestors came here as agricultural geniuses from Africa, worked 18 hours, 16 hours a day, 12 hours was a short day. And at the end of the day, the big man's house got bigger. <laughs> they got nothing. <laughs> so literally... Every day you worked really hard and then you turn around and the big man had a house addition this week and the next week he's got a new Cadillac. Back then it would be called like a horse and buggy. <laughs> you know, the next week he had a three more servants. We call that a house manager today, right? And you know, the next day, you know, they're going on a trail ride. We call it a vacation today. We didn't get anything for the, for the sweat of our own brow. Well, that's really unfortunate. No, 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 no. Railroads were worth $2 billion in the 1800s, but slaves were worth $4 billion. Double. So the nation didn't go to war in the, in the Civil War because the North and the South just didn't get along. It was over economics. It was over this system called slavery. You know where the word millionaire came from, Stan? I'm getting to a point. No, but I'm about to find out, I'm thinking. The, the word millionaire, those in the North who said it had nothing to do with slavery, came from New York City. And New York City was involved, of course, then in finance in the 1800s. It financed cotton imports, exports, co cotton insurance, all things cotton processing, well, the cotton processing through the cotton mill, the cotton gin connected it to the wealthiest city in the world in 1850, which was Natchez, Mississippi. It one of the poorest, by the way, cities in the world today. But the richest city in the world per capita was Natchez, Mississippi, which on the banks of the Mississippi River, I believe it's Mississippi River, processed, hello, slaves and processed into what? Cotton production. So that was the richest city in the world connecting to financiers in New York City who created the word, and that was in 1850, created the word millionaire. Literally, the word millionaire came from Black <laughs> wealth transfer. So if you look today and you say, well, why does the average African-American have a net worth of eight? thousand dollars or whatever ridiculous small number it is in comparison to their white counterparts who have a net worth of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Well, hello, there you go. It's literally math. It's what you said earlier. It's, you're starting at the same starting line, but you're starting at a different starting place. And we can go on and on and on with this, but you can buy a home in a black neighborhood, which is like the home in the white neighborhood five minutes away. But that home, the black neighborhood is going to be worth less. Why? Not because black people put a different value when they walk through the door. No, the government literally would not finance 
FHA, et cetera, whatnot, until the 70s and 80s would not finance mortgages in black neighborhoods. It was government-endorsed redlining. So here you go. I mean, it's we're not talking about going back, you know, four or 500 years with this. We're talking about, you know, in the 20th century, you had systemic racism, discrimination, and bias. And I'll stop. I just want to answer the question about this whole thing about I didn't do it. It really doesn't matter. If you're walking around white, you have a advantage that other people don't. And by the way, I'm really prosperous. I do really well. I'm still black, though. And that's why the senator said when he gets pulled over by the police, and when I get pulled over by the police, I go from a winning mentality and a thriving mentality to a surviving mentality. And I do things you don't have to do. Even you, Stan, don't have to do this. I'll look at the police officer and completely neutralize him. (laughs) Hi, officer. Uh, thank you for your service. Appreciate all that you do. I know you don't get a lot of uh, credit for, for keeping us safe. And so I really appreciate that. And by the way, I'm sure I did something wrong. I was probably speeding. I was on the phone talking at the same time. Whatever it is, I apologize in advance. I'm going to humor this guy. I'm going to reduce the tension. And I'm complimenting them, rightly so. I do appreciate their service. But I have to do that in order to make this person not tense. And the white person only has to be white to make them not tense. <laughs> We're talking with John Hope Bryant, CEO of Operation Hope, amongst many other businesses, true entrepreneur, advisor to presidents, author, thought leader, servant leader. And we're going to come back from our break and we're going to continue the conversation about the world we're living in today and what we as a community can do to make it more than a moment in time, but an inflection point rather than another tipping point. We'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by KeyBank, where every teammate can bring their full, authentic selves to work. From people hired to clients served, from suppliers partnered with to communities invested in, diversity, equity, and inclusion are the cornerstones of all that they do. KeyBank is proud to stand with the franchise community in our shared goal of creating inclusive experiences for our colleagues, our clients, our franchisees, and their communities. KeyBank also applauds Franchise Today as it provides an important voice to help companies move forward and drive results, building more just and equitable communities. And the conversation continues with John Hope, Ryan, founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Operation Hope. John, talk a bit about Operation Hope's work, and I'd like to take that portion of our conversation into some actionable items for the franchise community to help them get started on making changes that can be meaningful and sustainable. Well, Operation Hope was founded by me after the Rodney King riots of 1992, chartered to teach financial literacy, but the same thing that the Freedmen's Bank was chartered to do in 1865 by Abraham. Lincoln. I want to finish that work. I want to become America's financial coach, the Starbucks of financial inclusion, the Walmart, if you want to call it, of economic empowerment. In other words, scale, a scaled nonprofit that raises credit scores 54 points in six months and 120 points in 24 months because nothing changes your life more than God or love than moving your credit score 120 points. And in the neighborhoods that I care most about, I'm convinced, and this is why I get a little sad at our past, Stan, is if I had convinced banking after 19 1992 Rodney King riots and trying to find a voice for the unseen and unheard. But if we had convinced that Operation Hope banks, at least after the Rodney King riots, a raise of credit scores, literally just do that raise it 75 to 80 points, 100 points ideally, from 550 to 650, 570, George Floyd's neighborhood where he was murdered, to 670, 
Literally, crime drops like a rock. Literally, hope raises like a balloon. Literally, jobs become created because you have different economic energy. Literally, the check cashers, payday loan lenders, and rent-to-own stores start to fall away because they don't have a market. Literally, the tax base increases because you have people who not only have jobs, but create. Everything changes. And so Operation Hope, in the current environment of COVID-19 and the national civil unrest response, and Bill Fair, who's with us today, is a portfolio manager for us for our response portfolios. We have helped, the last report I saw with 65,000 small businesses like your members uh, and consumers, 65,870,000 is the exact number in the last two and a half to three months. So we've helped more people in one quarter than we did in more than half the year of last year uh, at Operation Hope to take their life back. What are some of the things that we're doing? Negotiating with creditors on your behalf, setting up recovery budgets with you, with your the owners of your franchises and their families, navigating and applying for financial aid through the EIDL and PPP programs of the SBA, FEMA benefits, unemployment benefits for your employees and people in your family, raising your credit scores, which again is a, something that we do as an art form that literally changes your life. Obtaining loan deferments, mortgages, small business, loan deferments, credit cards, etc. These are things we do for free at Operation Hope. There's no cost to it. We do it with an entry level services that are free and then we have case management services that are sponsored through employers like some of the larger franchise operations as an example. And I get to say more, but that's enough for people to get a visual. We're in 22 states. 154 locations across the country, $3.5 billion invested in underserved neighborhoods through our partners and four million clients, and I've only just begun. And also, Stan, your members can download something called the New Marshall Plan. They just type in my name and the New Marshall Plan. It'll come up. I wrote it for the Milken Institute about three weeks ago. It's now appeared also in the American Banker, and it'll also appear soon in the Wall Street Journal. And it is my plan for the reimagination and rebuilding of everything, the restart of America at scale. It's a software upgrade for this country. 2013, when I first met you and Don Graves brought us together, and I believe for the last six or seven years, I've been looking for that moment in time where we can bring franchising and Operation Hope a little more closely together because there is such alignment in the things that we do. A memo got issued by the IFA's foundation about a week ago, and in part, it said that we are all impacted by today's realities. However, it's important to recognize that each of these issues is disproportionately impacting people of color, especially African Americans. As a community, there has never been a more important time to do what franchising does best. Serve our communities and serve each other. Let's work together to listen, learn, and get better. And I believe, John, that the one place that can be most impactful for what Operation Hope and your work does is the franchise development community. The neighborhoods that you're speaking about are sometimes flyover country for franchisors, but Mm -hmm. if you can take those 500s and turn them to six and 700s, we've got qualified applicants for franchises and then we've got new jobs that can be created and we can take the faces of neighborhoods and make them franchise America instead of check cashing America. So my proposal is that this conversation today become the first of many more to come and that we bring our diversity institute and Operation Hope a little more closely together and maybe Bill Fair does some quarterbacking for us to see if we can't find a way to bring benefit for both our agendas, which to me are one and the same. I think you're very smart, Dan, in how you're looking at this. As I keep saying, the movement in the future is in the suites, not the streets. We've got to create jobs and opportunity and GDP. As you see in the new Marshall Plan, it's all about business. And it's all about things that your members can do. You don't have to wait for the president or the governor to solve many of these problems or the mayor. 
you can begin to solve them for yourself. And they give your members a sense of inspiration also. My mentor, Ambassador Andrew Young, and his best friend, Dr. King, did something miraculous in America in the 60s. It wasn't for Black America. It was to redeem the soul of America from the triple evils of war, racism, and poverty. And he changed the country. They changed the country as a place where people really thought you could come here and be free. And I don't think that my Asian friends would have come here, my Indian friends would have come here. All these folks from different parts of Eastern Europeans would not come into America and believed in our freedom creed if we had not solved the basic problems of civil rights for Black Americans in the 60s. So that created an economic opening for everybody. But the folks who took the whites only sign down the first were businesses in the South. Little known fact, it was not the government, it was not city and state, the federal government. It was business leaders who met quietly with Andrew Young after marches and said, how do we negotiate ourselves out of this? And Dr. King negotiated them to take down the whites only signs. If you think about it, Stan, it was soda shops and water fountains and department stores. It was the private bus companies. They took down those signs and then that forced the government to also respond. It was businesses taking the lead then, and it'll be businesses taking the lead now. I want your members to hear GDP. I want them to hear untapped marketplaces and customers. I want them to hear that if you do a little bit to provide economic energy in these communities, not only will the dignity come back and we will be able to get along better, but the economy will grow. The overall economy will grow and the wealth will grow for your members through untapped markets. Think about these as emerging markets. Black America alone is a $1.3 trillion annual consumer spending force. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But it's mostly unorganized, mostly untapped, and in that way, undisciplined. How do we turn that into Black wealth and not just Black consumerism? Whoever does that first wins. They benefit too. So 100% of the neighborhoods where these murders and unfortunate shootings are happening are areas that lack an economy. 100%. By the way, my white rural brothers and sisters rioted at the ballot box three and a half years ago. My black brothers and sisters in brown rioted in the streets three and a half weeks ago. It's still a riot. In other words, it's anger, it's frustration, but it doesn't solve anything. We're not solving anything. We're just howling at the wind. We're just howling at the mountaintop. How about we look at the mountaintop and see a light at the hill, a light on the hill? And how about, and how about we all become attracted to that light, become illuminated, and find a way to do what the Bible suggests or to not do what the Bible suggests? And the Bible suggests that a house divided cannot stand. It's biblical. It's a great business plan also. You, you just literally cannot succeed with one part of your society going in one direction and another part of society going in the other or two different economies in the same society. It's just not sustainable. So look at the new Marshall Plan, find things in there that your members can do and let us figure out together how we can march forward with a vision that grows the economy and sustains America's place in the world as not only the America's sole superpower in the world and economic leader, but also a place that reaffirms her core magic sauce of freedom. John, there are more than 730,000 establishments employing more than 7.6 million professionals in the franchising world today. 30% of franchise businesses are owned by minorities as compared to 18% of non-franchise businesses. So franchising's got a running start here. And I believe, yeah, yeah. I believe that together we can effect some powerful change and influence on the franchise community and the growth of the franchise business model. John, is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you wished I did? No, I just want to be able to get busy. <laughs> Let's get busy. PhDs are good. PhDs are better.
Let's get busy. <laughs> well, let's go get busy. And I can't thank you enough for letting this happen today and for sharing so much with the audience. And I believe we're at the beginning here, not the end. God bless you, Stan. Thanks for all you do. I'm going to post links to the Franchise Today Facebook page that will help you learn more about John Hope Bryant, Operation Hope, and all of the tools and services that they provide. I'll keep you posted as well, following introductions that I plan to make between John and our IFA Foundation and Diversity Institute leadership. So, stay tuned. Before I close out the episode, a quick question to ponder. Do any of you find it at all ironic that all that we're experiencing, all of these changes in our focus and our vision, are all happening in the year 2020? That is how some people describe perfect vision, isn't it? Okay, just something to think about. See you back here next week. I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.